This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Messiah had to be born of flesh, had to come through a people. And the Lord has done this with Abraham to set a people aside, to set an example, to be a light into the world. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But the Lord called them. And so these are the benefits. What advantage do they have? And we see in chapter 9, Paul adds more to it. The adoption, the glory, the covenant. The giving of the law, service to God, the promises, the promise of what? The Messiah to come. After the fall of mankind, God promised to send a Messiah through the seed of a woman to deliver man of his sins. The Lord, in his sovereignty, chose the nation of Israel to be the people who would not only receive the law, but also birth Jesus, the promised one. In today's message, Pastor Eddie points out that though God could have chosen any nation, he chose Israel. And with that selection came great blessing and responsibility. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie with today's edition of Running the Race. Paul writes, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that God may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both the Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. We'll pause there for a minute. We're still in God's courtroom. If you've been following us in our study of the book of Romans, chapter 1, 2, and now we may make our way to chapter 3. Last week we left off with the Jews at the witness stand. We're still in God's courtroom. The Apostle Paul has already addressed a deprived Gentile in chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, and proved without a shadow of a reasonable doubt that in their ungodliness, in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth, knowing God and not glorifying Him as God. And as Paul says, they are without excuse. And so the depraved Gentile who's at the witness stand walks off guilty. Then next, Paul called the moralizers, the moralists, the, the good person to the witness stand. 
And he then also proved to them, proved that without a shadow of of reasonable doubt, that they too are without excuse. The moralists fool themselves. They consider themselves to be more civilized, more educated, more refined, believing that they cannot commit certain sins. But while looking down on others and judging them, they also are guilty of sin. So the deprived Gentile is guilty. The moralists are guilty. And Paul says to the moralists in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And so Paul finished with the moralists. The moralist was on the witness stand. He walks off guilty. Last week we ended off with the people of the covenant. Those who had the oracles of God and those were the Jews. They are left at the witness stand as we were there uh, last week. And so that leads us to chapter 3 where Paul is still addressing the Jews. In chapter 3, Paul is going to answer four questions, four, four objections that the Jews would have. Now keep in mind, Paul was a Jew himself. He's thinking like a Jew. He knows how they think. And so he's going to ask these questions, and he's going to anticipate what they, they would be asking. And so he's going to begin with the first question. The first question is in verse number 1, verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? So the Jew would ask, so Paul, you're telling me that we're just like the pagan Gentiles? Are we like the depraved Gentiles? Then what good is it to be a Jew? What good is it to be a Jew if we're considered like the rest, like them? Paul answers in verse 2, he says, Much in every way, chiefly because to them we were committed the oracles of God. Now notice what Paul does here. Though Paul was a Jew, he's referring to the Jews. And here, the pronoun he says, here uh, as to them, he, 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 he says, chiefly because to them, not including himself, he's not including himself, Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And that's because Paul is not that kind of Jew anymore. He's not that kind of Jew. He was a Pharisee. Now he's a Jew inwardly. What does that mean? Well, if we we close with chapter 2 last week in verses 28 and 29, and it says this in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not of the latter. Who prays is not for men, but from God. So Paul is speaking about an inward Jew. And so we know Paul's heart, he wrote in the previous letters, he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male or female, rich or poor, free or slave. We all have to answer to God. But here, he is addressing the Jews. So what is the advantage? And the Jews have a tremendous advantage over the Gentiles and the non-Jews in that they had the scriptures. They had the laws of God, the oracles of God. That's a great privilege. And so they possessed and they kept the word of God. In other words, they were God's library keepers. They kept it and they had a tremendous privilege fear even to keep it, even when they copied the the scriptures. As a matter of fact, when they were copied, they made just one mistake copying the letters, the books. If they made one mistake, keep in mind, they didn't have chapters and verse breaks like we have today. 
And in the Hebrews, there's no space between words. Can you imagine one of them copying the book of Isaiah? 66 chapters. And they just miss one dot. They have to start all over again. That's the respect they had for the word of God. That is the respect they have for the word of God. So they were given the oracles of God, and I think it's a tremendous advantage and a tremendous responsibility. And should, that kind of tells us today, I mean, when we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found multiple books of the book of Psalms, multiple books of the book of Isaiah. And can you imagine, they look at these scrolls, and if you go to Israel, you'll see one of these uh, scrolls, just un- it's, it's just amazing if you could read Hebrew. <laughs> but, you know, it's amazing. The book that we have now is still intact, word for word. I just had a conversation with a man yesterday in the courtyard. He said, oh, you know, the Bible's been changed. I said, no, there's different translations. Don't misunderstand that. But the word that we have today is still accurately as the way it was written thousands of years ago. Because even the oldest text that we have before is before the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls is actually 600 years before that. But it proves, just to show you, they had the oracles of God. They were God library keepers. They kept the word of God intact. So the Jew had the advantage of, of this incredible honor of having the oracles of God. And it's interesting to know that when you look at the Greek word oracles in Greek is logion. Logion means a saying. It means pronouncement. Or I love this definition. It says, saying which may be traced back to the deity. That's interesting. Think about that. The definition in the Greek for the word oracles is a saying which may be traced back to the deity. Who's the deity? Jesus. Jesus is the logos. In John 1, 1, it says, the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. His name was the word. And the word became flesh. And the deity, it goes, way, it goes and leads to who? Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, Paul is just saying, there is a benefit. We have the oracles of God, but when he gets to chapter 9 later on, Lord willing, if we get there, when he gets to chapter 9, he says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 4. Who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises? All these things they had, it was a benefit. Now, people would think, well, why the Jews? Why, you know, you know why they had... They're not special. God didn't consider them special above all other nations and all other people. God had to choose a people. It could have been the Chinese. It could have been the Italians. It could have been anyone. The Messiah had to be born of flesh, had to come through a people. And the Lord has done this with Abraham to set a people aside, to set an example, to be a light into the world. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But the Lord called them. And so these are the benefits. What advantage do they have? And we see in chapter 9, Paul adds more to it. The adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, service to God, the promises, the promises of what? The Messiah to come. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 22, he said to the woman at the well, for salvation is of the Jews, not by priority, but it had to come through the Jews. And so the Jews had this incredible advantage. If they were to ask this question, Paul, what advantage do we have? You have all these advantages. However, the fact that they had the law, 
The fact that they had this adoption and the covenants and the promises does not mean that they're without sin. Does not mean that they have no need of salvation. They too are with sin. They too need salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul writes the second question here. Verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Now Paul is careful to say some, uh, you know, though the Jewish people as a whole did not believe in the gospel of Christ. He's careful. For what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? In other words, if the Jews did not believe in the promises, the gospel of Christ, will that not make Jesus Christ the Messiah as the scripture foretold that he was the promised one? And Paul answers in verse 4, Certainly not. Now, this certainly not in the Greek is strong. It means absolutely not. It literally means let it not be. And that is to say away with such a thought. Certainly not, he says. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. You know, there is one sin, one sin that every man has committed. Every man, from the time of Abraham to now, to those who will be born after, every man, woman has committed, and that is lying. We're born liars. We are. Now, you parents, you know this. Parents, you know this. I'm not talking about your teenage kids. I'm talking about the little one, the two-year-old. The two-year-old that took the lipstick and wrote, he started, became Picasso and started drawing paintings on the wall. The little one that takes like, you know, three rolls of toilet tissue and just all over the house. You don't have a dog. You ask the two-year-old, who did this? Not me. Who taught the kid how to lie? Kids know how to lie. It's just we're born with it. And it's the very sin that Satan used to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden. He lied. Did God tell you not to eat of this fruit? So you see, every man is a liar. And what Paul is saying here, listen, let's be real here. We're born liars. But let every man be the liar, because that's what it is. He's not asking let. He's, that's what it is. He calls it what it is. But let God Almighty be true. And that's something we need to understand and keep and understand. God is faithful and truthful, while every man is unfaithful and liars. Charles Spurgeon says this, if God says one thing and every man in the world says another, God is true and all men are false. God speaks the truth and cannot lie. God cannot change. His word, like himself, is immutable. We are to believe God's truth if nobody else believes it. We have the word of God. And it's sad to say that even though we have the word of God, people are deceived. There's some that have been in the body of Christ for some time. There's some that know the word inside and out. Some that were raised in Sunday school, church, and still they have been deceived by the lies of the world. When they have the truth in their laps, when they have the truth, the word of God. Let every man be a liar, but let God Almighty be true. Truth is truth all by itself. And just because man does not believe the truth does not make it less the truth. Whether a person believes it or not, it doesn't change. 
God's word and the truth of God. What is the truth? The truth is Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is the truth? And when the truth is just standing before him, the truth is in the man, Jesus Christ. That is the truth. Verse 4, he says, Certainly not, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. In other words, let God keep on being true, even though every man becomes a liar. And what Paul is quoting here, when he says it is written, he is quoting Psalms 51. Psalms 51 is one of the greatest Psalms you could ever read. You want to know how to truly repent before God and have a broken and contrite heart before God? Read Psalms 51. And Psalms 51 is, is, Paul, is uh, King David's confession as he repents before God. And you tie that up with what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 11. What happened in 2 Samuel chapter 11? King David fell in love with Bathsheba, another man's wife, and he committed adultery and he committed murder. And here in verse 4 of Psalms 51, Paul is quoting, Against you, as, as King David writes, Against you, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He said that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. God will be found just when he speaks. And God will be found blameless when he judges and when he judges the world. God will be found always just. You know, we depend on man. We depend on the court system, 12 people in the jurors and one alternate. You know, it's not going to happen when God speaks and no one's going to argue. No one's going to argue with his decision because God is fair. He's a righteous judge, especially when he's a God full of mercy and patience. And so when it comes to judgment, Regardless of what man says, God is going to be just. Let God be true and every man a liar. Just because the world doesn't believe in a God doesn't mean God does not exist. And now we're getting more and more to an age where people don't believe in God. Atheism is on the rise. Why? I believe because Christians are not being bold in their their faith. Christians are not sharing about Jesus Christ. Or they're not living the way they ought to live. Just because the world doesn't believe that Jesus Christ uh, will not return, that doesn't mean Jesus is not going to return. Jesus is not going to say, wait a minute, I, I can't return. They don't believe I'm not going to return. He's still coming. And just because the world doesn't believe that there will be a great tribulation, the world tells us there will be a great tribulation. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen because the world doesn't believe it. Heaven and earth will pass, and it will. There will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth. But God's word will now pass. He says here that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. During the great tribulation, even the angels, even the angels are quoted in the book of Revelation saying that God is just. Angels. Now, God has angels, believe it or not, protecting all the oceans and the water of the world. 75% of this world is filled with water. And you believe that there's an angel that protects that? Yes. Look at Revelation chapter 16, verses 5 to 7, when God pours out his wrath. In verse 5, it says, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. Angel is going to say, You know what? 
I protected these waters for thousands of years, Lord. He didn't say, Lord, you messed it up. I protected. He didn't say, you know what? You get, when you created heaven and earth, you created waters, you created the ocean, the firmament, the skies. And you know what? I protected. That was my responsibility as an angel. You put me here in charge. But you know what? When, you bring, when God brings that judgment, they're going to say, you are just. Verse 6, for they have shed blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. They have long have it coming. And I've heard another Another angel is coming in. It's going to say like, amen. Another angel. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgment. Another angel is going to say amen to that. Because God's going to be righteous. The very things that God began in creation, he's given to man before he created Adam and Eve. He's going to judge the world. That's I gave you the moon, the stars. I gave you the ocean. I gave you the trees. I gave you everything. The very thing God's going to judge by taking it away. Now, the next question, and this question is like, um, one of, he's, he's thinking like a Jew because he knows how it is to be a Jew. The next question is going to be a, a counter argument of an, appoint, of an opponent, uh, one who's probably considered to be like a wise guy. He's going to be a wise guy. And we're going to see how much of a wise guy he's going to be. And Paul knows all too well what it is to be a wise guy. Verse 5, he says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. In other words, Paul is saying, I speak as a man. I know in a human point of view, I speak as a man. And so in other words, what they're saying is, well then, well then, Paul, our righteousness, our sinfulness serves a good purpose. By me being unrighteous, by me being evil and bad, it serves a good purpose because it helps people see how righteous God is. Now, you can say that's a wise guy, right? And if that being the case, isn't it fair then that God would punish me? Why would he punish me when I'm making him look good by me being bad? You see, this is how people think. There are people like that in this world. They don't have to be Jewish. There are people like that in this world. They think, well, you know what? I'm going to keep being bad because it makes God look good. You know, if anyone could bring a case like this and saying by being evil, that'll bring the righteousness of God to stand out. If anyone would have a case for this, that'll be Judas. Remember Judas who betrayed Jesus? He could have said, well, you know what, Jesus? Um, if it wasn't for me to turn you in, to betray you, if it wasn't for me to turn you into the temple guards, into the Romans, you would have gone to the cross. You see, I helped you. I made you look a good guy and I became the bad guy. And so, see, if anyone can have a case, it would be Judas. And you know, there's like the Judas, the gospel was used, the letter of Judas that's been out there. You probably see it in the National Geographic on Discovery Channel or the History Channel, the Uninformed Channel, the Unbiblical Channels. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. Would you like to know more about what that means for you? Please give us a call at 570-296-7367. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, 
We'd love to have you come join us here in person at Calvary Chapel of Milford. For service times and more information, visit runningtheraceradio.com. If you'd like to listen to more messages from Running the Race, Tracy has more information on how. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to runningtheraceradio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many more. Thanks, Tracy. Join us next time for the continuing verse-by-verse study of Romans with Pastor Eddie Pinero right here on Running the Race. 